Fintech Insider interviews. I'm Simon Taylor from 11FS. Today, I have the great pleasure of speaking with the one and only Anish Rama, founder and CEO of Air, providing access to an alternative credit score. Anish, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Simon. It's it is, it is. Of course, we'll, we'll get into how you and I know each other in a bit, but before we get into all of, uh, all of that history, uh, let's, uh, let's start off with, like, who are you? And, and why, why did you feel the need to start a company that does uh, alternative credit scoring? So, um, I guess there's many ways to explain who I am, but uh, over the last 10 years, what I've learned is I've effectively become a company builder. Um, this is my third startup. Um, I have become a very proud member of the London tech startup scene, and I'm, I'm a really big supporter of it, but this particular one does come out of a lot of personal pain, uh, and pain that probably goes back almost 10 years ago as well. Um, I am a migrant to the UK. That word has positive and negative connotations these days. Uh, I'm very proud to be a migrant. I think it's, it's, a, it's a positive thing for the world. And in my case, I found myself to be a new person for the financial system, and that system just didn't know what to do with me. It was like a you know, a wave hitting a hard cliff and just getting bounced back. But you'd worked in, was it Canada or was it the US before? And you'd worked at some impressive organization. Yeah, and the, the joke is I used to work at a bank in New York and the bank had moved me here. So I worked here in a bank and I was FC authorized, but I couldn't get myself a basic credit card. I remember phone contracts were the first one when I got hit. And it was just the simple thing, right? Sir, you have no credit history. We don't know what to do with you. And we don't know what to do with you translated to we can't do anything for you. And I think that was the sort of differentiation there that I really wanted to pick up on. I was like, unknown doesn't mean no. Can we do something with that? And that idea is sort of being behind air. Uh, that's the core, isn't it? Unknown doesn't mean no. It just means I need to find out more. So what were, what were the next insights? What more could I find out? When you looked at how people were credit scoring, what, what did you find out? Well, it took a while. So you know, credit scoring was slightly new to me as well. Um, at first, it became a, a little bit of a, a quest to learn more about it. Uh, lots of angry letters being written to various organizations, uh, even politicians. Um, met with a lot of interesting people through this. It was like a personal quest for me, right? I, I was just on my own mission because I felt this this needs to change. And, you know, I've, I've always been a bit of an activist customer, right? I think there's airlines around the world will probably never fly me just because I've written really angry letters yeah. to their CEOs. But through that quest, I learned so much about how credit decisioning, credit data comes about. And I did find that there are some... Uh, there is some staleness building in the system and you know life and the way we live has changed so much that that there's this lag that's happening and can't just be your address your history and your name and date of birth that defines everything about your credit score and what financial products you've had in that country before because most of the credit rating agencies as some listeners will know are international in nature but their data is local correct and I mean, I got introduced to this problem from the concept of being a migrant. And the more I dug into it, I, I realized there's other groups like me who are probably getting a bit sidelined, right? So uh, I met a lot of young people who are sort of first-time borrowers. They're 18, 19. You know, and they're not out to sort of take out 100,000 pounds and sort of abuse it. It's for, hey, I need to sort of finance my schooling, education. Maybe I need to buy a computer because I just don't have you know, 2,000 pounds today to buy a Mac. And, you know, even back then, Apple was expensive. <laughs> but all of those realities are very real and you know it isn't credit for bad use it's credit to further our lives and within that ecosystem i kept digging and digging and i found self-employed people freelancers contractors i mean i'm sure a lot of people who work in this environment as well like 
their stories and the way they interact with the financial system has changed, right? We, we don't have the same, we don't have the same job for like 40 years. We don't sort of live and die in the same radius that we were born in. And that lifestyle change means that we got to rethink how financial services thinks about giving us products. Completely. I am a nightmare customer for a bank right now. I, I've lived in six addresses in the last three years because um, I've moved around because I'm renting, right? That, that's, that's reality. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, as a founder in a company that may go on, fingers crossed, and let's let's kiss some uh, some babies and some foolish clovers, might do quite well, you'd think they'd, they'd want to require me for the next 30 years and, and and see me as a good customer, but it's the opposite because of how this this box fitting that you fit into kind of doesn't work. So what's the story about the genesis of Air? Who did you meet? How did it start? Was there a fateful moment somewhere uh, with a guy from RBS perhaps? Or <laughs> um, Yes, there's a lot of people I met. I mean, you got to think this is, you know, before Air was formally a company, there was almost two to three years of like just running around meeting people partly because I thought this system cannot be changed by an outsider. You need the system internally to adapt to it, right? So even writing letters to the regulators or lenders, politicians, and I thought maybe there's policy change that needs to happen. You know, I was thinking that far deep into the system. But eventually I came to realize that to really make that change, you got to go almost inside the system and work from within. Mm -hmm. And that realization dawned upon me sort of after I'd found a way to exit my last startup, which was sort of keeping me busy for most of my time. And then I took a bit of time off to really reflect on what I want to do next. And, you know, they say downtime helps you really think about what you want to do properly, right? Rather than just trying to jerry-rig something in. <laughs> and uh, a lot of downtime, a lot of travel, going out to the U.S., going to different places, meeting tons of people. But that one realization I had was there's something really powerful you can build if you get the consumer to be involved and how a credit decision about them is being made. Okay, what do you mean by that? Yeah, and that's it was it was an interesting concept which people mocked me for honestly early on because you know in in many ways the concept of making a decision about your credit outcome or your loan application was always seen to be this thing that the bank is doing. Consumers almost cut out from that equation, and that. That's an interesting reality, but if you were to redesign it with all the knowledge we have of what happens today with direct connectivity, smartphones, consumers being able to participate as decisions are being done, you wouldn't design it that way. You would almost say, okay, there's more data, more context I can get from the consumer. Can that help me evaluate their process or their application in a much more richer, intelligent way? So I love this idea that uh, as somebody's going through an application process, there's a certain point at which the answer is, oh, I don't know. And the insight to me from you guys at AIR is, okay, let's ask them some more questions. Yes. Yes. If you don't know, who do you go back to? You go back to the source. Yeah. And the source is going to say, nobody knows more about you than you. <laughs> what a crazy idea. <laughs> right? It's like, imagine writing your CVs for a job application. Do you trust somebody else to write your CV before you apply for a job? No, you write it. And I know there's areas in which I think people sort of will curious about. It's like, okay, people will embellish their CV and people will write things mm -hmm. which are a bit more. And, you know, there's ways around that. There's actually techniques and sort of some of the work and research we've been doing is around how do you form good sort of process around validating and verifying the data that comes in via the consumer. But that data is so rich, so relevant, so deep that the decisions that we're able to now help lenders make 
are way better than most of the traditional decisions they were reaching. So you're making different decisions. So then let's just define Air, the company as it exists today, because you'd kind of gone on this journey, you'd had the personal frustration, you'd seen other people had that frustration, you found you could ask more questions. So what's Air become? What is it now? So our mission stays very much the same, right? We're, we're so driven by this mission, it, it's almost sort of the filter that defines everything. And we believe there's a better world that exists out there in terms of how consumers engage with credit, as long as they get to engage with the lenders directly as well. Mm-hmm. And that's it's a powerful idea. Um, you need players like Air in the middle because a lender on its own will not be able to enable all of that to happen. Um, and there's somebody, in, in some ways, you also have somebody who's, who's a, sort of fighting a bit for the consumer's corner. And that's also something that I see in air. You know, credit's always seen as this dangerous thing. Like it's like playing with fire. Predatory lending and peer-to-peer lending. and You you sort of take it on and, you know, oh, there's always a negative thing that happens. But, you know, credit done well can be great. You can buy a house. Most people buy a house for a mortgage and a mortgage is a form of credit. You can lease a car. It's the second largest purchase in your life. You'll never do it without some sort of financing. And downstream as well, like paying for college, paying for education, paying for furthering your life. There's other reasons as well. Sometimes for medical, you need to have like an injection of cash. So it's a really important tool. Yes, it has a lot of downstream impact, but if you get it right, it can really further your life. So that's been our core mission is how do you make it work so that the consumer gets to the outcome they care about? And the lender gets the outcome they care about. It's not about sort of abusing the lender in the myth. You know, they're there as a for-profit company in many cases. How do you make sure that they get the outcome, the consumer gets the outcome? So we have a sister show called Connection Interrupted. In the first episode, um, John Hope Bryant, I don't know if you've come across this chap, talked about how liberating for people it can be to get access to credit. And in fact, that there are neighborhoods where the whole outcomes in the USA are completely restricted by the fact that they have no access to credit and they have no financial education, no financial literacy. And if you can take a credit score of 600 and raise it to 700, you can see the difference in that neighborhood in terms of people staying in education, uh, people getting jobs, people getting employed by raising people's credit scores. And the reality is, how do you mix this piece of education and and changing people's credit scores? So you've done a lot of research around what people need. What did you find when you've done that research? Yeah, and you know, many ways, sort of the research was the enabler, but um, you know, there's it's a little bit of rethinking how the process of issuing credit almost works, right? It's still like we're we're working in the age-old era where a loan is sent out by a bank, and it's sort of like the ship has sailed <laughs> and it's going off, and we have no idea what's going to happen. But you know, again, we live in a world with interconnected sort of devices, and if you sort of think about the evolution of a phone to a smartphone. What what changed was you you sort of rethought what a phone could do for you. Yeah. Same way, if you sort of rethink how credit works, you know, it is yes, there's an issuance of a loan and there's a valuation. But it's that point in time, isn't it? It happens once. Whereas actually, why why am I not seeing that differently? Exactly. And if you sort of stay connected with the user through the journey of the loan, you get insight, and the consumers also incentivize. Look, life will change, things will evolve. Maybe I get made redundant from my job, and my loan repayment becomes harder. If I have a dialogue with the lender running via air. I can do things with the lender say, hey, look, I'm not going to go into default. Give me a little couple months of amnesty. So that's who your customer is. Your customer is the lender. Well, yes, in, in, the, in the sense that that's our commercial customer. Yeah. They, they use our product to help enable lending. But, but you have a shared customer insofar as the lender and you. And the consumer is a stakeholder. Yes. And a very important stakeholder because we, we want them to trust the service that Air is providing. We, we want them to know that 
we're not out to sort of uh, abuse the data that they're providing us or abuse their relationship. And like I said, right, very few people in this credit ecosystem have fought for the consumer through the evolution of it. It's always been pro-lender. But then the lenders must hate you. No. <laughs> this is the beauty of it, right? And, you know, one of our values of the company is how do you create win-win outcomes? So yeah. we do sort of very carefully think about every product design, every partnership, every even every employee we hire, about how are they thinking through creating this win-win outcomes. Where so you're not making lending less profitable. You're making lending potentially more profitable? More responsible. Yeah. Reach a wider set of customers and at the same time ensure that consumers who are getting loans from you are able to get to repay them properly. So the consumers also have a positive outcome at the end of it, right? So you're reducing your risk in your portfolio, but at the same time, you might be able to issue where you couldn't issue before. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. So that that win-win, has that happened? Are you seeing that in the numbers? Yeah, so, you know, it's as you know from our journey, it, there's a lot of ecosystem parts that we had to get moving. Um, we spent a few years getting regulated and authorized, and, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that the FCA supported us. We were a bit of a out-there company in the early days. And how did you work with the FCA? Sorry, just to sidetrack you. No, no, it's, it's an important question. I think it's, and it's quite important for the UK to be proud of this. You know, we have a, a regulator here, the FCA, who has a very open mind about understanding what is it that creates change in the system and what what do innovators require. Um, And we were one of the earliest members of the Innovation Hub, which was at that time just getting created. This is mid-2014, and we were pretty pretty fortunate to actually get featured by the FCA as a case study company. So, you know, nothing like getting publicity via the FCA, right? Um, In fact, when you Google Air and FCA, you only get positive news, which is (laughs) not a lot of companies can say that about themselves. Certainly some very large credit agencies don't have some good PR at the moment. But but then are you in competition with the credit rating agencies or are they sort of um, there in the background and you're kind of intermediating in, in, in between though? So we... We don't say that we compete with them simply because they have a certain population that they serve and they do a great job on. In many ways, we sit on top of that. Um, and there are individuals we serve that they don't cover. And even the individual they do cover, we can enhance the story further for them, right? And that's, you know, there's a, this concept, and it's a, it's a little mathematical, a little geeky. It's, it's the concept of uh, orthogonality. And it, it's a bit of like a data science concept. But we look at our work about sort of how do you create uh, data and outcomes and insights that a lender can use that are to some extent orthogonal to what a traditional credit bureau provides. Mm -hmm. Because when you add that in, and that's the power of getting data from a consumer, because that data is very different than what a traditional bureau holds. It creates such a powerful uplift. And you know, when it happens, it's it's fascinating. Consumers get better rates, better outcomes, the lenders feel better about the risk they're taking. The whole ecosystem can get lifted. Now, like you said, has it started happening? Yes, bits and bobs of it are coming together. We only got our regulation uh, last year towards the end of 2016. Uh, and this year has been a you know, great history for us of releasing these deployments one after the other. And you know, for us, there was actually a little bit of news that's been floating around in the last few weeks about how we have sort of worked through the sectors, you know, working at credit cards, personal loans, uh, retail finance, as in you know, buying goods and getting them financed. Uh, and most recently, um, automotive finance, car finance. So we're sort of following the journey of the consumer, if you think about how they think about credit and how we match them. We wanted to let you know that if you love this show, how about seeing it live? We're going to be at Money 2020 Europe in Amsterdam this June, and we're bringing Fintech Insider live with us. 
we'll be bringing the podcast to the main stage right before the drinks reception and you can be there sign up for tickets now go to europe.money2020.com forward slash register and use discount code 1811FS that's 1811FS to get 200 euros off the ticket price it's interesting that in the process you must find yourself coming up against some preconceptions of what credit is how I issue credit and how I score it have you found that difficult to reframe people's positions of it and kind of uh, how do you help people get that switch yeah, so we, we, we have the saying at the company that we should always be ready to walk the uncomfortable forest. Mm-hmm. It's one of our values. And that also means a lot of things in terms of how you design the product. But we know what we're doing at AIR is going to be hard. It's almost been untouched for so long because it's been hard and people have shied away from it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want AIR to be a company that was going to shy away from the hard things. And by tackling them, by going at it, by spending X years with the regulators, dealing with incumbents who are perhaps trying to innovate but not getting there working through legacy spaghetti code and you know you find the next pasta word Mm. about what legacy systems we've had to deal with i mean i heard mainframes in a meeting the other day and i was like wow that's still around (laughs) oh yeah so yes all of those are realities uh but the only way to get this change to happen is that we have to go through it and you know that's that's some of the choices we're making in this company right it's it's walking the uncomfortable forest it's tough it's thorny, but going through it allows you to get to the other side. Beautiful. Uh, we got to get to that other side. All right, so I'm going to round this out a little bit because you mentioned the word culture three or four times. And look, I'm founder of a startup, subject that preoccupies me almost constantly. Um, how did you come to your culture? How was that forged? And there's a really interesting thing line on your website that says that our culture at air places a strong emphasis on experimenting and the scientific process. How's that work? Yeah, and culture is a word that also gets abused a lot these oh, days, yeah. sadly. Um, so, you know, like I said, this is my third startup and I'm almost embarrassed and ashamed to say this out loud. I didn't get this right at my first two. Um, and we suffered as a result. You know, we were... Mediocre companies at best. Um, and I took time off. I thought a lot about this. You know, it's just one of those things. I was like, where, where do we get it wrong? And in that time off, I realized, you know, when it comes to people and culture, those are some of the most, you know, unshakable foundations of a company. And if you don't get them right, you will always at best build a mediocre company. And for us, it became so ingrained in sort of not just, you know, this add-on we have from a, hey, we do culture well. It's also in how we think about product, partners, data, ethics. Why are we gonna look at a certain algorithm? Why do you look at a certain technique? We almost use our culture as a filter for all these things. And it's, you know, for air as our product and the journey we're on, that idea that we have can only be reached if we really stay true to our culture. So we, you know, uh, you can probably see a bit of this in sort of the speak on the website, but also in, in our hiring process, you know, it's almost like, you know, people say this, that, you know, we hire for fit and all that, but we genuinely focus on fit and mission. I always find that there's a cargo cult of of certain things that people think they're supposed to do. Uh, They want credit for stuff they're supposed to do, right? So it's like, yeah, we hire for fit. But do you though? Yeah, we we trust the customer and we we listen to them. Do you though? Uh, How, what does that look like in reality? Like break that into tactics for me. 
So, you know, uh, we, we have actually published our entire um, hiring process online. Again, if you tell the consumer or the user coming in what they're going to get, they'll be a lot more mm-hmm. informed. Uh, but let's look at how it manifests itself, right? So often you'll have a great candidate in front of you, this you know, data scientist with tons of patents against their name and all the technical buzzwords. But if it doesn't fit, are you going to make that decision when you're so understaffed to still go ahead and make that hiring? choice and say, oh, we will be able to adjust him or her in there? Or will you walk the uncomfortable forest and say, no, this person doesn't align with our culture and values. We're still going to say no, even though the backlog is flowing out of control and we need a person tomorrow. Or we need a person last night, in fact. Yeah. Right. That's really when, you know, the, the it's really being tested. It's those hard choices it's where hard if choices. I could get somebody in there that could solve that problem for me, but they're they're damaging my culture. Correct. And I, we care about it so much and we've been through the pain on the other side that we will make those choices. Same downstream, right? So you look at partnerships. You know, we, we are very picky with the kind of lenders we partner with. In fact, we say no explicitly, it's on the website as well, to any, I guess, payday lender or sort of uh, high-cost short-term credit providers because we just don't think that's a form of credit that consumers need. And, you know, that's, as a, as a venture-backed company, you should be focused on commercial outcome, which is obviously needed, but we've taken the hard choice and said, no, those are commercial outcomes we don't want to be chasing. And we will perhaps wait longer to work with the right kind of mainstream lenders. Again, data, ethics. I'm sure there's data patterns out there that we could use that could improve your credit outcome. But are they the right things to do from an ethics you know, Are they damaging my privacy? Are you Correct. looking into something that uh, might be damaging for me in the long term? Like, what, what's in my best interest? Correct. And for us, culture becomes that filter that says... No, in the product, no, in the partnerships, no, in the data, everything has to filter through that. So for us, it's, it's, it's like almost at the, really at the root of the why this company exists that we have sort of stitched in the culture there. And you know, I'm really proud the team's there, they, they get it. And, you know, they, we check each other out on things. It's, it's really, you know, we're holding the fort really well on that so far. And I, I hope the public that's listening out there can keep us honest about it too. I love that. So um, before I let you go, I'm gonna ask a few questions I ask everybody because we get great founders like you in, in now and then and, and when you've done three startups and you've learned the lessons along the way there's a couple of things i guess that you you pick up some tips and tricks of the of the way things get done so how do you maintain productivity that's a hard one obviously um yes there's n number of things to do and there's definitely not n number of hours in the day um like i said you're always under resourced we're we're always in the market trying to hire people and um, the challenge, I think, is it goes back to the why, right? And I think if a company really understands what it's trying to do, every piece of work or task that spins out of that, if a person sitting there can align themselves to thinking, if I'm doing X, is that helping the mission move forward? And it, as a filter, it starts helping really remove unnecessary tasks. So, you know, a lot of productivity challenge is also about focus and not having distractions take away your time. Yeah. Um, it helps. I won't say it's the magic bullet. There's still a lot of effort we have to put in. So, you know, in our office, we've chosen a very certain design style. And so we think about, like, how do you help people have areas to have deep work or go off and sort of just get in the zone, especially with research and data science. You need sort of this peace of mind, like your Zen zone. And we encourage, if required, you can work from home for a day or two just to, you know, get a certain thing over the line that you just cannot get done in the office. So they're all tricks of the trade. Um, It's not an easy one, but I do believe that when we 
have this alignment, you, you productivity comes naturally. So you, through the culture and the hiring, you're bringing in people who naturally get the mission to a certain degree. Absolutely. When they're in there, that you're teaching them about the mission during the onboarding and they're feeling it every day. So from a productivity standpoint, they should know what's within it and what's not necessarily within it, but interesting. Correct. And if they they feel like, hey, I'm doing X and that X feels a little bit outside the core, you know, they should come back and say, this doesn't feel like it's adding to the mission, right? I mean, there's this great story, which I always recount, which is, you know, I think JFK met a janitor at NASA in the 60s, and he was like, you know, young man, what are you doing? And he said, sir, I'm putting a man on the moon. And I think that sort of alignment is amazing to see. And obviously, uh, no company's perfect, but I think that's the way we think about it. Like, everything we're doing, is it helping against that one target at the end? Uh, and it takes a while to get there. <laughs> you have this habit of giving me goosebumps, sir. Um, so I'm guessing that answers the question how you motivate your team. Um, but I'm going to flip to um, the next question, which is, what's the best career advice you ever got? Oh, there's so much I've gotten over the years. I don't know how much of it is actually true. <laughs> um, I'll give you one that I think I... So I'm, I'm fortunate I get to spend some time with... Um, young founders and so I love mentoring some of them and hopefully helping them on the journey to build better companies and even air one of the things I tell a lot of them is you know don't lie to your team and maybe it's a little bit more founder centric advice or sort of people in a leadership position you know there's this sort of tendency to um, know one thing and sort of motivate the troops with something else and that works for a little bit but I think you know the team that you build has a lot of intelligence in what they're doing. And I think their ability to sort of participate and sort of sit around the table, so to speak, with you is only better if they know what's happening throughout the company. And, you know, whether that's sharing bad news, whether that's sort of positive things, it's there's no need for a company internally to sort of have lies and secrets floating around. Completely. No, the, there's no need for the lies. I <laughs> completely with that. It surprises me how many companies still have that. It gets published later on, and I'm, I'm shocked at, like, you know, again, it kind of comes down to culture a bit, but it's 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 it starts on the top, right? Uh, last question before I let you go, Anish, and this question is probably the obvious one. Where can people find out more about you, and where can they find out more about your company, Air? Well, I think podcasts like this one on FinTech Insider will be great. Um, yeah. We've... We've been a little bit more inward bound, I, uh, I confess. We, we're starting a process to write and share a bit more about what we do, what we think about, the kind of changes we want to get seen in the world. So um, we do have a really nice medium blog now starting up. Um, and it's really, really, really shares. Again, don't lie to the team. Don't lie to the world either. And we, we share a lot about our thinking around how products in our space ought to be designed. What's the reality? What are principles behind that? So when I first came across you guys, I realized that you're the word air. So A-I-R, but with the letter E on the end. Like that confused me when I was Googling you guys at first. Like air, air. I'm looking for air. No, it's air with an E. So is it still air.i? I-O with an E? Yes, that is right. So A-I-R-E dot I-O. Check these people out. Um, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. Anish, thank you for being with us on Fintech Insider. Thanks for having me, guys. And if you like what you heard, please, please subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews help us so, so much. And when you've got somebody as good as Anish on the show, he, he deserves a review all in his own right. I think that was fantastic. Uh, we love reading them as well. Believe me, we read them all. And um, befriend us on Facebook or Twitter, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.